um, and we have every year what we what is called a minister's prayer conference. Uh, and I don't know any other conference like it anywhere in the world. We spend we do listen to addresses and and preaching, but we spend a lot of time in prayer. And I want to encourage you with that as I begin today. That's not particularly relevant to what I want to say, but just to say why I wasn't here the last um, the last um, last week. Um, I've missed being with you, but I've enjoyed being with um, 70 or more men, pastors, all pastors who are devoted to pray and to pray for God's work and blessing, to pray for revival. Um, it's a it's a wonderful conference. I don't know of another conference anywhere in the world that is quite like that. Um, but it's a very great privilege to have been involved in that for, for, for many, many years now. Once a year, we, we, we hold this. Uh, today, I want uh, to talk uh, for a moment or two about the greatest sacrifice that ever took place in the world. And of course, that is the cross of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know uh, how uh, what you do in other parts of the world, but today is the 11th day of the 11th month of the year. And in the United Kingdom, that is Remembrance Day. It is was the day, the, uh, uh, the last day of the First World War, and it has become Remembrance Day for us uh, for the two world wars and many world wars, many wars that have taken place. And we we wear a poppy. I have a little little poppy badge on my jacket today um, and I've been wearing it um, the last week or two and we'll wear it tomorrow on what is Remembrance Sunday. And at 11 o'clock this morning um, in churches around our country and I was at a service where we stop at 11 o'clock and we remember in two minutes silence the uh, the those who lost their lives in the world wars uh, and uh, in subsequent wars or in wars and tomorrow uh, remembrance sunday the same thing will happen at 11 o'clock in the services that we hold but of course the greatest sacrifice by far was the sacrifice of the lord jesus christ and so I would like you just to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 19, John chapter 19. And I'm just going to read three verses, verses 28, 29 and 30. John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. Well, may God bless his holy and inspired word to you this day. Now, I don't know about you as you look out upon the world. My father fought in the First World War, in the Second World War. Um, he died when he was 42, when I was a child. Um, I still miss him greatly, but he he died uh, in the in in uh, uh, after the war. Uh, but he was only 42 years old when he died, and I can remember him saying to me before he died. He said, uh, "Ian," he said, "I was about I don't know nine uh, nine or ten. He died when I was 11." Uh, he said, Ian, he said, if I did not believe in the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, if I did not trust him as my personal savior, I do not know what I would do in this wicked, wicked world in which we live. 
Well, I think now in 2023, we live in a world that is far more wicked in some ways than it was in my father's day. And I don't know about you, but we often say to one another, I'm sure, what can stem the tide of evil today? What can, what can we do to stem the tide of evil today? What can break into this godless world? Now, of course, we who are believers know the answer, only the cross of Christ, because the cross is God's display of the atonement. How men and women, boys and girls, can be made right with God. The atoning and finished sacrifice of the incarnate Son of God for us men and our salvation, as the Bible says. The only foundation of our hope, the only ground of our acceptance with God, the only place of pardon, the only instrument of our salvation. And here, in our Lord's words, it is finished. One word in the Greek, tetelestai. In this one word, this great declaration is a triumphant victory over death, hell and the devil. And although our Lord died upon the cross three days later, he rose from the dead, victorious and triumphant. But even here in these words, it is finished, is the glorious assertion of the rule of Christ to subdue all kingdoms of this world and to crush all rebellion to his holy and exalted reign. And yet, what do we have here in this verse? A dying man upon a cross, a suffering, bleeding, dying, expiring man. And yet as he dies, he is not defeated, but gives us a mighty shout of victory. Now, there are two of the sayings on the cross which are described as loud cries. And they are both from Psalm 22. The first verse of the psalm, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the last verse of Psalm 22, did you know that? It is finished. Verses 1 and verse 31, the first and the last of Psalm 22. The last verse of Psalm 22 says, it is accomplished, it is done. What is our Lord telling us? He is telling us, he's telling us lots of things. But he is telling us that he is the fulfillment of all that is prophesied about him in Psalm 22. Now, I'm not going to stop with the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've spoken about that before, but we need to be careful when we say that. We have a hymn in our country which has a line in it. The father turned his face away. Now, I don't think that is biblical. I don't think that is true. I don't think the father turned away his face from his son. No, he was forsaken, but he was not forsaken in regard to his father love, his father's love. What does our Lord say? John 10, 17. Therefore, does my father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again? He was never loved by the father more when the powers of hell were permitted to do their worst. He was not forsaken in regard to his union with his father. He was still fully God and fully man. Now, dear friends, I, I don't want to be controversial. We're not supposed to be controversial, but I have sadly heard some people who call themselves evangelical that when the Lord Jesus Christ said, Father, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit, the Holy Spirit left him. And so he only died as a mere man. Man, friends, that's blasphemy. 
he was not separated from God in regard to his union with his father. He was still fully God and fully man. He had to be fully God because otherwise he couldn't have paid the penalty for all our sins. And thirdly, not in regard to the grace of God, because God was still his God, my God, my God. But what was he cut off from? Well, he was cut off from the comfort of his father's love and the joy of his father's presence. And he felt the full wrath and fury of punishment for sin. And that was awful. And I think the hymn writer has it right when he says, alas, and did my saviour bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for sins that I had done? He groaned upon the tree, amazing pity, grace unknown and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ, or as originally written, when God the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. So beware how we view the forsakenness of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father was never more pleased with his son at the time. What the Puritans called the concert of the Trinity, as all three persons of the blessed Trinity are at work. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That is wonderful. Hebrews 9.14, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God. Wonderful glorious my friends we worship we bow our heads and worship octavius winslow said in his i love octavius winslow i'm preparing a lecture on him like for next year at a conference i'm addressing octavius winslow said who delivered up jesus to die not judas for money not Pilate for fear not the jews for envy but the father for love and dr sinclair ferguson wrote in one of his books even as the father was executing on his son his righteous wrath that we deserved, even as the father was pouring the eternal vials of his just judgment on his son, he was surely singing, if ever I loved thee, my Jesus tis now. I hope we appreciate and understand that. Well, friends, just briefly, a few words about it is finished. It's one word in the Greek, tetelestai. Psalm twenty-two, thirty-one. He has done this. His work is done. So he dismissed his spirit. He has power to die. We don't. We can commit suicide, but we can't determine to die. He becomes obedient unto death. He willingly submits his soul to death. And that tells us a number of things. It tells us that prophecy has been fulfilled. All the types and shadows of the Old Testament were fulfilled in him. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world accomplished the complete fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices. Prophecy is fulfilled. But now suffering is ended because there's no more work to be done for our salvation. Can any of us imagine the suffering of the Savior? None of us can. And all of eternity will be too short to plumb the depths of his agony. Oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. And it was, as it were, that the heavens, as Al Martin said on one occasion, the heavens drew a black curtain across the skies. 
so that no one would see the agony of the Son of Man. No one can enter into this mystery. Bow your head and wonder. In wonder lost in with trembling joy, we take the pardon of our God, pardon for sins of deepest dye, a pardon bought with Jesus' blood. And thirdly, obedience is complete. The Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law perfectly. And God's justice is satisfied. 2 Corinthians 5.19, I've already quoted it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And fourthly, victory is achieved. This was, as I said, the shout of victory. The covenant stands. It has been full, fulfilled in him. Divine justice has been satisfied. In Colossians 2 verses 13 to 15, we are reminded that a debt was owed, but it has now been paid. Literally, the account has been blotted out, the words of Colossians, folded over, and the word tetelestai written over it. That's what they did in those days. Tetelestai. It is finished. It is paid in full. Now, many years ago, I've, I've nearly finished. This is my final illustration. Many years ago, a very earnest but somewhat unusual evangelist by the name of Ebenezer Wooten, W-O-O-T-E-N, went about the rural areas of England preaching the gospel. And he went round, he pitched a tent outside the villages and he conducted evangelistic meetings and many people were converted. On one occasion, he was taking down his tent after conducting a series of meetings in a certain village. In those days, the evangelist had to do almost everything himself, much like some of us pastors today. When a young man came to him and he said, Mr. Wooden, what can I do to be saved? Wooden was pulling up the tent stakes from the ground without even looking up. He said, you're too late, young man, you're too late. The young man was rather taken aback. He turned to him and he said, do you mean that now your meetings are over? I'm too late to be saved? Oh, no, said Mr. Wooten. That's not what I mean. You asked me, what can I do to be saved? And my reply is that you're 1900 years too late to do anything. The Lord Jesus Christ did it all on the cross. All you need to do is fall on your knees, repent and ask Jesus to forgive you and receive you, trusting him to be your saviour. And that is what the young man did. My friends, that's what we can do. One of the things Dr. Lloyd-Jones used to say to us young men when I was many, many years younger, many years younger, used to say to us time and time again, don't make assumptions about your congregation. And I would guess, I don't know, I see on the call today that there are 60 people. My friends, I would guess that amongst the 60, if in a size of a group of 60, it's highly likely that at least one, if not more of you, are not yet saved. You're not yet born again. Statistically, that is highly the likely to be the case, even though you may think you are. 
And I have known many, many people in my life of ministry who have come to faith in later years, who've been in churches for years and years and years. And then they suddenly come to reason, realize that they have never actually confessed their sins and received the Lord Jesus as their savior. My friends, the work is finished. You come to him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Why? The debt has been paid. And brethren, can I urge you, if you're preaching tomorrow, preach this. <laughs> Whether you remember Remembrance Day or not, I don't mind. But preach this. What it troubles me in Britain today is so few people who call themselves evangelical don't preach it. Forgiveness is real and it is complete. How shall we escape? If he, Hebrews 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? As you go out to preach tomorrow, those of you who are preachers, you preach it. And you say to men and women and boys and girls, are you covered? And let me say it to you here today, whatever you are, whoever you are, are you covered? Are you saved by this? great salvation and this glorious savior.